I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Take one. Do you want anything from the shop? Call it out. Chocolate! It doesn't say anything about a chocolate, does it? No. No, it doesn't. Sure it doesn't. So fuck off! My boss says he can eat 50 eggs, he can eat 50 eggs. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not gonna take this anymore! You're certifiable, Quint, you know that? You're certifiable! Hello, Dimitri. Listen, I, I can't hear too well. Do you suppose you could turn the music down just a little? Oh, that's much better. Hello, and welcome to yet another Spool podcast with me, Nigel Wheatley, and him, Pork McGill. Hello. Barp. We're right at the end of the month here, so if we may... <laughs> see, see, good one, good one. Of May. Uh, we're going to look back on a few of the films that caught our eye in the last couple of weeks, like X-Men Apocalypse, Mustang, Green Room, and Love and Friendship, and then we're going to chat about the new Michael Moore film, Where to Invade Next, and Shane Black's The Nice Guys, both of which are out kind of next week. I think we'll probably start off with The Nice Guys, because we're nice guys. Uh, yeah, we are. Uh, we saw a preview of this a day or two ago and it stars Ryan Gosling and Russell Crowe I'm sure people would have seen it because they're kind of going doing the circuits around Graham Norton it's quite funny doing a lot of publicity but that's okay it's yeah. a funny amenable nice people and I think they like the film you know so they're kind of happy to do it uh, it's directed by Shane Black who is kind of more known for writing films but uh, had his first kind of directorial debut with Kiss Kiss Bang Bang and you can kind of see similarities here with the nice guy he also wrote Lethal Weapon which is, if you go in knowing that, you kind of see a lot of similarities because we have Russell Crowe as kind of a wannabe private eye, but more a guy who just goes, beats people up for money. He plays Jackson Healy. And we have Ryan Gosling, who plays Holland March. And he's a proper, legit uh, private investigator. The two of them are separate at the start. And then through a series of events, they have to come together and work on the same case. So here we have a clip that kind of gives the, the dynamic of the two. Did you fall down the hill? I had like two or three drinks, Tops. Yeah, that's why you can't walk straight. Oh, excuse me, I'm carrying a dead body and I have a schwanz in my face, so I'm sorry I'm not Kishnerov. You can't even say Baryshnikov. You did, didn't you? You yeah. fell down the mill. You get drunk, you lose your gun, you take your header off the balcony, and now you're gonna tell me it's like a, a hallowed time on a detective ploy, right? It was very slippery up there, okay? I was, I was in the pool. You were in the pool? Yeah. Why? I had to question the mermaids. What were you doing while I was working? Thank you. Let's get rid of this guy. Oh, God. You kind of get the kind of, that Ryan Gosling there is a bit of the kind of idiot funny guy, but quite smart. And Russell Crowe is the more kind of serious, uh, you know, but a bit, a bit more bit grizzled, a bit more kind of beat down by, yeah. by the job. Um, so I really enjoyed it it's very funny um, it's kind of it's set in the what it's set in 79 yeah that is maybe 78, 79 I was trying to date it the oil crisis with OPEC yeah and the sex pistols are on the wall ah, and okay. a few things like that yeah so um, we it kind of is that kind of you know 1940s uh, pulp pulpy yeah, yeah. and I was because LA Confidential is sort of in your head possibly because Kim Bit. She's in Kim Basinger, that. yeah. She's basing her in that. And LA and like CD Hollywood as well has still got a part because the porn links in it and the way pornography and gambling and general dirty money is sort of coming to Hollywood. Uh, I always thought there was dirty money there all along. But. Yeah. Um, but it's good, kind of, it's more funny and it's lighthearted. You know, it kind of gets a bit serious towards the end when it kind of says what it's about. 
at the root of it, but it doesn't tone in on that too much. Um, the Russell Crowe and Ryan Gosling are really well matched. Gosling is kind of coming into his own in this as a comedic figure. You're just like, oh, he's brilliant. Very subtly. So kinda- he's always kind of had the very funny, like even in Crazy Stupid Love, he... He has that ability to just kind of turn on a very funny guy, but here and be the quite lines, deadpan. Yeah, the script is written for him like it's so well done. Uh, it kind of reminded me as well of Midnight Run, the film from the seventies or eighties um, with uh, Robert De Niro, and I think it kind of is the film that will get funnier the more you watch it. It's kind of there's subtle bits that you'll miss in it and stuff like that. Um, yeah, well, we're seeing. What do you think of it? Yeah, absolutely. Like, um. I I we because we were talking afterwards and you didn't really know that Shane Black had done it and I was like yeah like in my head it was very Iron Man three sort of kiss kiss bang bang Val Kilmer in there like so you could have Robert Downey Jr. potentially delivering a lot of the Gosling stuff and Val Kilmer kind of as well but that's not like they wouldn't have done but like I kind of felt mm. it is Val Kilmer isn't it yeah I have remembered that correctly um, and. So I really did. Yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, There's a really nice dynamic too. One of the, the third main character, I suppose, is uh, Andrew Rice, who plays uh, Ryan Gosling's daughter. And she kind of is keeping him on the straight and narrow. And kind of like Ryan Gosling's a bit of an alcoholic, which is kind of OK in the film. No one. It's no like. Yeah, we don't. Really, what happened to, to her mom? One? Well, died he's in the, died in a fire. Spoiler. Oh, yeah, died in a fire. Yeah. But it's not really crucial. But to the he film. has been a single dad and actually done a very good job. Yeah. Like, she's really street. So street he's smart. almost like Shane Black is just playing back into his lethal weapon where Mel Gibson's wife is dead. He's a bit of a crazy loose cannon alcoholic. And so now Ryan Gosling is this. And there's no like, oh, we should try and get him to stop drinking. There's a hilarious line at the end uh, with Russell Crowe as well that I thought it was just like, yeah, brilliant. It's the 80s. No one gives a shit about this. Like, let's learn and grow stuff. It's just like, yeah, let's get on with no, it. No, 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 no. And um, very funny. They're like, yeah, they they do deal with pretty heavy issues around death and stuff. And yeah, it's all done in a nice jokey way. The one bit I didn't really fully get was the opening before the credits. Like that was a legit scene, like where the car crashes through the building. But and it then, couldn't have been or because was that a of fantasy the way. thing. I only thought about that there now. Yeah, when I was kind of there's an opening to it where there's a young child in the house and he is looking at a por- porn. A smutty magazine and then a car crashes through the house lands in the tree and there's a naked porn misty actress mountains. misty mountains is her name sprawled out on the ditch i took it as a fantasy scene and yet now it's probably not what's, what's but, the but yeah it has to be real in some degree because she has to have died because another character in the film is mistaken for her a lot or yeah. so you think but she did have to be killed but the way it's framed because then I was thinking is this a flashback thing where Ryan Gosling is the grown up kid of that child or something they were in the same year because it's the next kind of person I think that cuts to after that dream sequence is him sitting in a bathtub full of water but no very savvy very very smart very enjoyable very very good Um, opens Friday it opens on Friday, absolutely. Something that's been out uh, for a couple of weeks and I can't form a tangent between this and Next Men Apocalypse. Do you want to work on that, Gosling? Yeah, okay, I'll think about it. You, you think know. about that. I, I can't really get anything. Russell Crowe, you probably get something there. Um, so anyway, X-Men Apocalypse is a film that was announced sort of, you know, well, announced as with any of these things came, you know, in the days after X-Men Days of Future Past. They they did the post-credits tease in that about going back to Egyptian kind of times and uh, teasing this so as they love to do so here's kind of a clip um, which I think is a classic clip of exposition where uh, Moira McTaggart who we remember from X-Men First Class played by Rose Byrne uh, just explains everything 
Ever since the world found out about mutants in 73, there have been cults who see them as some kind of second coming or sign of God. I was tracking one of them. They call themselves a sheer N. Sevenure, named after an ancient being they believe to be the world's first. World's first what? The world's first mutant. These describe a specific set of powers greater than any man could possess. An all-powerful mutant. Exactly. And wherever this being was, he always had four principal followers, disciples, protectors he would imbue with powers. Like the four horsemen of the apocalypse. He got that one from the Bible. Or the Bible got it from him. It's like the Bible. Maybe that's where they got it from. Yeah, so very enough. funny. Um, anyway, this is Brian Singer. He's the one with the uh, you know those child allegations against him. allegations. Anyway, just allegations. What was um, the documentary you saw during the film festival uh, last year about that? Yeah, I don't know. And during the week, Cor- Corey, one of the Corys, oh the guy from Glee. Yeah, uh, no? no, no, no. One of the Corys came out saying again that you know this, this issue is still prevalent. Anyway, we won't go there. We're going to talk about Brian Singer's allegations. Uh, we're just talking about him as the man who holds the keys to the X-Men universe. He's wonderful at doing that. So this is his fourth X-Men film. He took a nine-year gap between X-Men 2, X2 and X-Men Days of Future Past, but he's always kind of been the guy. Like he's now worked on these for about 18 years. They've mm. kind of been in his kind of He wanted to do, I think, more, but he was like, I want to go do Superman. And they were like, no, we're not going to wait for you. So. Yeah. So, I mean, I think, yeah. But he does seem the, the X-Men guy. Yeah, he's the guy. And I don't think all the other superhero franchises kind of bring directors in for a while. They're, they're friends with them, like Joss Whedon and everything. And then they just sort of move them on and stuff. So this, he has held on to that in a different world. Anyway, it's fourth film we're now from him. And it's the, I think it's the ninth in total. Just to, to, but they don't feel connected in any way. But anyway, no, yeah. And um, it jumps forward a decade from Days of Future Past, and we're now in 1983. So logically enough, we get all the like musical cues and the fashion of that. I love the Thriller jacket, by the way. Nightcrawler has Michael Jackson's Thriller jacket in the thing, which yeah. is kind of fun. But uh, anyway, um, as Moira explains. The current version of the X-Men are under threat by a, a character called N. Sabanur, a.k.a. Apocalypse, played by... I had to. I only realised this no, after. Yeah, yeah, I didn't know during it. He's completely hidden. Oscar Isaac. Oscar Isaac, The yeah. man, Mr. Lewin Davis, Mr. Uh, Mr. Versatility is now in it. He's a bit wasted in it, but anyway. Um, we know most of the faces in the film, um, and we've gotten to know kind of, you know, Jennifer Lawrence... James McAvoy, Michael Fassbender as the sort of new faces of this franchise. And then they bring in a few of the original X-Men faces as young people. So we get Ty Sheridan, uh, who we know from quite a good few things, playing yeah. Scott Summers slash Cyclops. Sophie Turner, who we know as Sansa Stark from Game of Thrones, playing Jean Grey. Olivia Munn plays Cyclock and Alexandra Sheep. Uh, as Storm and I didn't know this until recently Aurora Munro I quite like the Storm bit her origin yeah I didn't twig that oh that's Storm until she starts doing stuff with the weather like maybe obviously proper comic book nerds knew the second they were in yeah yeah yeah. so um, it's very very inconsistent because it's sort of you know really serious but also very enjoyable sort of at the same time and you never really know how to feel about uh, people or things but despite all the re- reviews being slightly you know like negative when it came out saying this is really terrible I actually had a really enjoyable time I love the end mm. by the by the third act I think the third act is brilliant um, 
and it's sort of the, it's really not about Magneto it's not about um, Professor Xavier it's kind of the closest I felt is like Jean Grey Cyclops kind of story and they're yeah that's kind of sinking in for me it was a lot at the start about Fassbender and how he kind of like, like that story is obviously true but the, I wasn't aware of it kind of his you know Poland bit. yeah and that was dealt with in the very first X-Men mm. film no but the bit, whole but... Poland and his wife and kid oh, thing yeah. Yeah. so I was kind of like oh that's really cool because he kind of had disappeared but he was like no I'm going to do this now and there is a lot where it's kind of trying to reach him to be slightly good just to kind of you know come back on side yeah which has always kind of been the case sort of in the recent things that Magneto is sort of like uh like a dastardly villain or something mm. like someone from Wacky Races where he'll do something bad but only because like ugh. yeah still couldn't really understand how there were shoehorn and Wolverine in there and as you done without the surprise cameo yeah because it's just like how have you well he doesn't really age but like yeah and they've always sort of had that but yeah he's Australian and Russell Crowe's Australian there you go that's a good link that's a good link so yeah. we, we have, have also another brilliant link for Green Room and Russell Crowe see oh. if you can figure it out okay He's in a band. Okay, we'll come on to Green Room soon. But anyway, yeah, Wolverine has a surprise switch sort of thing in it. But I think you always expect to see him in these films. I think he's been in uh, eight of the nine. Wasn't He wasn't in First Class, if I remember. Can't even remember. I feel like he's been in mm. more or less all of them. But and there's another Wolverine film coming up. And then there'll be another X-Men broader kind of film on the way. But yeah, the franchise keeps kind of chugging over. This made good money. Um, it is it is good, but you kind of feel like they are verging on the too many uh, character thing again. But it's good to see what they're doing, jumping through the decades and all that. I don't know. I don't have anything yeah, really kinda, intelligent I, to add to it, but I just and it's, it has a, it's a good formation of a lot of the stuff because then you're like, oh, it's the X Men by the end of it. You're kind of like, oh right, yeah, I didn't yeah. realize that, and then you realize why Patrick Stewart went bald. Yeah, and they barely, yeah, they barely have costumes on in it, so it's quite a like gritty kind of thing. Um, but like Mystique, Jennifer Lawrence is pretty much wasted in it. Um, she's not given you know much to do. I'm also not sure what age she's meant to be in it. I was trying to do the maths. Oh, okay. She must be about forty. But uh, anyway, the we're good. We're or good. Jennifer well, same with Moira McTaggart because it's twenty years after the Cuban Missile Crisis in it because that was in First Class in 1963. She doesn't look 20 years older, but anyway, mutants, so people age differently and stuff. Fair enough. Um, also, I didn't care when that death occurred. And there's one sort of relatively thing when Cyclops' brother, Havoc. Uh, oh, yeah. I yeah. was like, but they yeah. kind of really didn't want you to care. Yeah. I thought Ty Sheridan as Cyclops is pretty cool. I was like, oh, that's good. It's good. Yeah. yeah. But Cyclops was always a bit lame. Like, I watched the f- uh, X2 there a couple of months ago just why not oh yeah but he is lame but he's kind of making him a bit kind of you're like oh yeah Yeah, I get it it's all about Wolverine and Jean yeah and Nightcrawler played by Cody Smith McPhee who we know from Thingy Slow West isn't that it and The Road that was Nightcrawler under all the blue I didn't know that cool so um, yeah anyway it's 144 minutes and yet it doesn't feel no it didn't drag that which is sort of unusual for it but anyway um, keep, keep going Brian Singer don't listen to the allegations unless they're true well, uh, so Green Room, the link is that, okay, so a bit of plot with Green Room. It's uh, writer director Jeremy Solner's next film after Blue Ruin, which kind of was a bit of a sleeper hit um, from a few years back. I thought it was good, but not amazing. Blue Ruin, that is. It was just kind of like, yeah, it was a standard enough, but everybody seemed to like lose their shit over it. Um, and the main character in Blue Ruin was Mac and Blair. And he also has a small kind of smaller role in this. He's one of the guys in the cleanup operation who eventually gets his red laces. 
Oh yeah, that that's the guy from Blue Room. Yeah. Right. So uh, Green Room is about a punk band who kind of gets screwed over with a gig. Uh, where they were supposed to be playing and the guy feels sorry so he's like look I can get you this other gig where my brother lives it's kind of in the middle of nowhere I don't know if we're ever told where it is maybe we were but um... uh, it's in Oregon okay. I don't know if we know that yeah I think early on they... we don't want to diss Oregon now because the... it's all about like neo-Nazis no 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 it's in the American Midwest foresty north sorry north west top top corner somewhere in the rain okay. seattle punky hardcore washington state cool, cool. hardcore scene so they go to play this gig and uh realize suddenly that the audience is about 99.99 percent neo-nazis that always happens that, always that, happens. i actually did some analytics on this podcast and we have a similar percentage of neo-nazi audience so to them we say thank you for listening okay so uh they then go back into the green room and realize that there is now a lady lying on the floor with they also a knife in her head a, it's worth a finish their set with yeah Nazi punk fuck off yeah to start their set with or they start with it yeah yeah but uh, like you know they're yeah yeah they're They're kind of give the two fingers to the crowd and so when they go in then they see the dead body then they're quickly ushered back into the green room and it's going to be obvious that they're now going to take the fall for this dead body uh here we have a little clip of that kind of gives you good uh atmosphere of how scary it is He's got six bullets. For real? We all go once. All right, so hold off a sec. For what? We haven't done anything. It doesn't matter. Okay. They're called cartridges. The bullet is a part that enters your brain if you keep talking shit. And this gun only has five cartridges, not six. Because they're big as fuck and only five fit the cylinder. So please, shut the fuck up. And don't test me. You should make it worse. We sit and we wait. And we die. Not if you sit and you wait. Yeah, so uh, that kind of, up until that point, you're just kind of like, all right, this is pretty tense. And then the violence really kicks in. So my link was that uh, Russell Crowe, one of his first films was Romper Stomper, where he plays a skinhead neo-Nazi. Good. And then another link to the X Men series is that Patrick Stewart is—he's almost a bit of a like film bait because he's kind of one of my misgivings with the film. You're kind of like, oh my god, Patrick Stewart's in this film. Now I really like Green Room, but I think he's kind of pointless in it. I think he's really underused. He's just kind of this over—he's like the boss of the whole kind of clean-up group who kind of come in and they need to basically either get them to admit they've done it or kill them all. And probably and frame kill them, them all. Yeah, and yeah. frame them for it. So he's just kind of this menacing, but I don't think he has the kind of quiet bad guy kind of it just and then the way the whole film ends you were just like this is pointless but like fair enough I just think it was a gimmick to get people to go to see the film and probably got more people to go see it than it but it really didn't need it um, yeah, and Anton Yelchin from Star Trek also in there do you not think he would oh, bring yeah. in the Nazis Chekhov I doubt it no. uh, I was trying to recognise what he was in before and he was in a film from 2007 called Charlie Bartlett uh, he was kind of like a self-medicating guy on high school and it also starred um iron man's uh what do you call him don't know he's also in fright night and like crazy yeah so the band is made up of as nigel says anton yalkin joe cole alicia sawcat who people will know from arrested development what age do you think she is all right 29 
no she's 27 in oh. my head she's about 40 but I think it's just because she has been, been on screen for, for so long, long. Yeah. and Callum Turner also Imogen Poots is in it she kind of comes into it more halfway through and turns out to be a big character it's really good really atmospheric quite disgusting at times like it's pretty full on had that nine thing where the screen and I was watching it lots of people were laughing at things and I was like that's not funny like okay. it's not like it's evil dead humor I don't think we can be like oh that's funny and gory no but people sometimes laugh out of uncomfortableness because it's really like there's arm there's bones breaking there's blood all dogs over dogs ripping jaws it's so, it's so tense though I love the fact that um you get a real sense of how this like punk little club in the middle of nowhere is sort of built as a set and the geography of where it is, where the, where the room is, where the stage is, you know, and even event moving from the green room out into the outside and you, you kind of visualize all this. And I, I do like when a bit of thought goes into that and you just feel like you're so constricted there and stuck in in that little environment because so really, really tense. And as a sort of horror shocky thriller, um, it it really does its job in that it's just yeah. normal people who get screwed over in this situation and what what are they going to do um, true I think it's better for me than Blue Ruin I did enjoy it more um, I look it's, it's a solid kind of three and a half what do you think you would have done um, in the situation yeah uh, I would have yeah probably tried to do something similar to them they were very clever in the way they boxed themselves in and like so sourcing weapons and all like yeah through the thing I, I, I don't know would you try to, I wouldn't like, bargain I wouldn't what, no, I wouldn't yeah, play along because you're always going to be killed you'd have like, to fight you know? yeah you'd have to fight with them yeah or I try don't know. and escape more but they kind of looked like they couldn't get out of that uh, sewer hole yeah anyway um, I saw it at the ADIF uh, festival the Audi Dublin International Film Festival from uh, earlier this year and that was a very reverential respectful crowd so that was a really really good tone because yeah you hate it when there's just some people there who just don't get it yeah so what was that cinema in name and shame Cineworld of course Cineworld yeah disappointing very disappointing um, so I'm going to talk uh, you haven't got to see this but uh, I'll just mention it because it's Irish and related to Jane Austen it is Irish it's filmed in Ireland and all the Irish money Oh, all the money's Irish, okay. Yeah. So anyway, Love and Friendship. Yeah, or like co-produced and produced by Blinder Films who are an Irish production company. Okay. So again... Fair enough, fair enough. I don't really... It's directed by an American director and it's an English story, so it feels weird calling it an Irish film. But this... What is an Irish film? Blah, blah, blah. Cue every podcast we do every couple of months. So yeah. anyway, Love and Friendship. Um, it's the new Whit Stillman film, which was uh, filmed to finance here in around Dublin and then also in a couple of big... I think Rusper House and some house out at Newbridge as well. It's an adaptation of the Jane Austen uh, epistolary book Lady Susan which means letters so you know the way when you, you go to mass every week oh, and they yeah, say yeah. from the first epistle that's St. Paul's letter I, I kind of I guess I did know that okay but Very I now good. know that for sure for table quiz Brilliant. what's an epistle and it means like a letter I was letter like yeah I don't remember reading. seeing Jane Austen in the bible yeah no they're they're separate but the epistolary thing so he went and took um the the book and adapted it and because it's all done by letters and people's he was given a bit of space then around characterization and to have a bit of fun and put a bit of his trademark kind of humor on it and everything so Whit Stillman we will know he's only done five films but Damsels in Distress came out about four years ago and did very well I think you really liked it mm, Greta brilliant, Greta yeah. so in this you've got Chloe Sevigny and Kate Beckinsale as sort of two of the central uh, female characters and yeah it's just really it's fun it's quirky it feels really short it feels really cheap in a nice way like he just sort of like I think he filmed it in about 25 days 
and they they have a bit of fun like it's all very tongue in cheek with the whole Austin thing because you can't be too reverential I've already used the word reverential in the podcast I'm going to use it again but you can't be too you know you have to admit that a lot of that world of like 1800s England is slightly daft and society so you have to kind of play with it so I thought it was hilarious and really really fun and um, it's good for him like that he got to make it because he goes through a lot of periods of not really getting any money to make yeah. stuff so and it's probably one of his best received films like Damsels in Distress was kind of panned and yeah. not really liked like it was too in or something but um, it just seems like it's, it's good really... Kate Beckinsale deserves lots of credit because she is hilarious I don't you know she gets a bit of abuse uh, between one thing and another because she does those like underworld vampire hunting mm. films but she's really really good in this and needs to needs to do more stuff like this yeah she came across as very nice on the Graham Norton show I think yeah. that's all I watch now that's it yeah just talking about Graham Norton it's disappointing you're not watching the late late but it finished finished True, last week so yeah. you have to oh, okay. you record the correct answer there was so sure I record it um, yeah. another another film which is still playing the IFI for another couple of weeks and I think might come back is Mustang yeah um, it's a fantastic film it was uh, nominated for the Oscar uh, Turkey's entry and it's written and directed by Denise uh, Granz Ergoven apologies for the pronunciation not bad your Turkish isn't great but no, fair play it'll get there uh, it concerns five orphan girls who are under the care of their grandmother and uncle um, and there was a bit at the start where they just kind of a bit of horseplay arson about with boys down at the beach and nothing sinister though. no kind not of even slightly so this is scandalised and they're kind of in a rural village in Turkey and because of this they are then are put under more and more punishments and pressures they're like they're taken out of school the bars are put in the window they are taken out of school because they would need, only need to be taught how to be a proper woman you know like cook and clean and all this kind of shit. yeah too right yeah and it's really like it's a, it's a fantastic film it's really heartbreaking so many times because you just see all their freedoms being taken away from them they're individually one by one kind of married off as well that kind of starts pretty quickly all their kind of clothes are taken off anything with any like sexual connotations or, or even just character personality yeah, yeah brightness or life or energy is taken off uh, the youngest girl in it is mad into football and there's a hilarious scene which is my movie moment of the month um, where the, there's a bit of aggro at some football games so basically all the men are banned from going to it only women are allowed to go so they're like we have to go to this football game uh, so they sneak out and go and see it and uh, obviously all their male oppressors are watching it back at home the grandmothers and elder women see that they're at the match so then have to go and knock out all the electricity in the house to break the fuse box and then one of the grannies runs down the road and starts pelting rocks at a generator box thereby putting out the electricity in the entire neighbourhood just so they can enjoy the football match and protecting women though yeah like, like a... there was that lovely kind of even though the elder women are you know participants in this they do kind of you get the impression that they're like look we this is what we have to put up with we can't yeah. do anything about it and it's better to kind of keep your head down and just go with it yeah it's sort of like it, is it like a Christian Orthodox ver- some sort of it's not Catholic yeah, it's, a, no, it's an Orthodox a, yeah. faith of some sort and their main role is to preserve their virginity and like there's a, a really interesting thing which is true like which happens in Turkish uh, rural society where on the wedding night the bed sheet is inspected kind of for for blood yeah, and ev- that- evidence that a, that a hymen was broken and therefore the yeah. virginity was intact and if that isn't the case, you can go to doctors who one of their things is that 
they will check this and I don't know you'd almost feel like the, the marriage would be nullified and the woman would be shamed because yeah, she yeah exactly and then nobody else will want yeah, her like, but yeah. also there's there's like not everyone is created the same and different people mm-hmm. do different things and like so yeah so it's, yeah no it's, there's those are really those kind of harrowing scenes in it when you're just like oh my god this is so bleak the ending is a wee bit uh, fantastical you're a bit like mm, I'd kind of mm-hmm. but you kind of go along with it because you want that like chink of light at the end of this horribly dark tunnel yeah yeah no um, I'd go along with it um, it's on Volta so you can watch it you can rent it so even if you don't ca- get to it in the cinema pay your eight bob watch it on volta.ie um, for I presume for a short term kind of uh, rental there, a day so. I think usually you get yeah so that's it speaking so that's directed by a woman and well represents women I don't like to hop on the old uh, women director bandwagon but there's two films uh, that I want to just mention both directed by women both which really let me down nothing to do with the fact they're directed by women just it's interesting that um, we're on this little strand so the first one is Money Monster uh, which was directed by Jodie Foster Jodie Foster is a strong voice in Hollywood and you would have thought there'd be more to it but it's got George Clooney playing um, a TV economist, I suppose you'd call him, and then uh, Julia Roberts is his is his producer. So basically, she lives in his ear, and then Jack O'Connell plays this young guy who, you know, some stocks kind of went wrong for him. Now he's pretty much bankrupt and goes into the studio with a bomb, puts it on George Clooney, and then threatens to blow the whole thing up unless he gets answers, gets his money back. Kind of not really sure what he wants, but. Um, yeah, I had high hopes because I kind of like these things and I like television. I like these people, how it all works, but didn't really say anything. It's perfectly fine. I get it. Mm-hmm. I you might have seen on my letterbox. I get it two and a half right down the middle. That's the forgettable. People say I never yeah, get negative yeah. reviews, but like it's perfectly fine. It's inoffensive and grand, but it feels like kind of a lost uh, opportunity to really have said something about that culture of TV economics and stocks and how people are told by this it's pretty much like TV uh, QVC kind of the world of TV shopping like buy this stock this is the stock of the week you know put all your money as safe as houses and all that and then this young guy did it but it reminded me about the the week before that and I talked about it last month Dog Day Afternoon um, similar kind of hostage situation and then family things are revealed through it and it's tense and everything but with this they're sort of they tried to do a bit of a revelation around family in it and it sort of backfires and yeah just could have done without it Jack O'Connell is good but like he's obviously very good anyway your trivia got a bit of Monaghan trivia for you because you're from Monaghan okay um, in the film is Katrina Balfe who's from T. Davenet in Monaghan brilliant so there you go so she plays for the for the bank company, I, I can't remember what they're called. Uh, she is their PR woman, so she has to kind of defend this company who who were a victim of a glitch of some sort, and okay. they weren't really a glitch. And then she then goes hmm, suspicious and goes does a bit of digging, and it's Dominic West is the person who's basically playing the same character as he plays in the affair of a smarmy kind of oh, okay. guy. So um, yeah, that part of it could have been a bit better, but very predictable in terms of where it goes. Mm. Um, but anyway, she's from Monaghan and she's in a show called Outlander, which is on at about midnight. Do you know that show? Brilliant. No. no, no, never heard of it. It's some sort of period time travel thing. Great. Anyway, uh, the other one is Our Kind of Traitor. Uh, this is directed by Suzanne White 
uh, whose last film before it was Nanny McPhee Returns from this 2010. This really is a John le Carre adaptation. Yeah, which and it really seems to have come out of nowhere. Like I saw Ewan McGregor doing promo for this and I was just like, well, what's this? Yeah, so it came out. Yeah, exactly. I didn't see any, any talk of pre-release buzz or anything. I saw it on a Wednesday when I was just looking for something to see after work one day. And then I was like, oh, that's finally out. And uh, or not finally out, but like that's out. And I thought it was something different. And then you see John le Carre and you're like, all right. But again, it's from... It's John le Carre's 2010 book of the same name, which uh, I was looking back through reviews, was well regarded and his best work in years, but his best work was years ago. So anyway, he's 84 as well. So I'm not dissing him. He didn't, you know, it's not his fault. But the story anyway is about a Russian kind of mafia thing. Go um, Yeah. Spice. A Russian mafia overtaking London and they go to an Arsenal match. And it's kind of meant to be a bit true to life, but it feels a bit outdated. Like it feels like maybe in 2010 would have been more relevant when we were more interested in economic corruption and everything. But anyway, Ewan McGregor's in there just on pure autopilot and Naomi Harris playing... Uh, who plays Money Penny in the Bond films is in there too and given next to nothing to do. Oh, okay. Anyway, two again, two and a half, straight down the line. This is the kind of film that at, at Christmas, when I look through everything I've seen this year, I'll be like, did I? Huh. Every yeah. year you have it where you just kind of go, did I? I Statistically, know that, that these were both directed by women and haven't performed well, they won't get to direct anything else. Yeah, well, she took Which five years okay. between the thing. But we're going to talk about one more mention just because you like. Uh, this film in connection with female representation yeah Bad Neighbours 2 or if you're in America it's called uh, Neighbours 2 Sorority Rising and so the first film was just called Neighbours which I don't know why anybody would go see that film is it because in the UK people would associate it with Neighbours yeah but like the whole point is to go see a film called Bad Neighbours because they hate each other and their neighbours bad like you know maybe Bad Neighbour was was too leading okay I have no idea Um, yeah so it's a sequel obviously to Bad Neighbour and um, yeah I really liked it it kind of I went in and thought this is going to be utter shite um, so basically it's the title yeah, why, of the American what was one the, I was interested that you went to it like this is the example of a Cineworld oh totally card, yeah fill in the gap just wanted but, uh, absolute, absolute brain food didn't want to have to think or couple do of any, cheap laughs yeah and just yeah. like grand so um, Chloe Grace Mortez plays Shelby and she's just arrived college and there's a thing that is law where sorority, sorority groups can't party, but frats uh, can. So um, they're like, this kind of bullshit, I want to party. And they were like, well, go form your own frat house. And she's like, I will. So she goes, does that after being to a frat party and it's the usual thing where like women are just treated like shit and the guys are all really sleazy and horrible. And she's like, I don't want to do this. I'm going to form my own house. So she forms her own frat house, which is dun dun dun, right beside uh, Rose Byrne and Seth Rogen's house. Oh my God, those people who had the... the Zac Efron in the first film. film. So Zac Efron is in a bit of bad luck. He gets to know the girls at college and is like, I'm going to tell you how to set up a frat house. And then he takes them through them. And uh, then the girls are just kind of like, actually, how about you piss off and stop telling us what to do? So then he sides with Seth and Rose Byrne and it's kind of this whole thing. But it's just kind of like, they make these loads of really valid points. There's a really funny bit in it where uh, they're annoying the neighbor's house by throwing uh, tampons at the window and it's a really funny joke and Zach comes down and is like this is disgusting like you know this isn't funny and she's like well, if that was like a dick joke or something you'd think it's the funniest thing in the world and he's like oh, yeah that's fair enough um, so yeah lots of funny laughs in it yeah I didn't catch it yet but I am actually I'm in- it's interested. one to watch on, on yeah. DVD and again got negative 
ish reviews but um, everyone would think was so like yeah this is better than the first one and kind of impressed by it and there was a weird article in New Yorker where it says it's an oddly sexless film which when you kind of read into it you're like oh, yeah actually that's true like it's not that it's kind of devoid of any sexuality sexist as in gender or sexist as in like sexual activities so. both kind of oh. like there's a weird kind of that's, yeah that's interesting yeah. yeah there's a really random connection between Bad Neighbours 2 and our first film The Nice Guys and it is Hannibal Barres Hannibal Barres has a cameo in uh, Bad Neighbours 2 he's a cop he's like a you know campus security and he's also the voice of the bee in uh, The Nice Guys the bee, the fantasy bee. The fantasy bee. Uh, very good. You've already told me your movie moment of the month. Mine yep. is just Jean Grey's kind of awakening from the end of X Men Apocalypse, bought into it, where she kind of just oh let yeah. it go, Jean. Brilliant. <laughs> What's Jean's power? I don't know. Everything. Yeah, like she's <laughs> a phoenix. Powers? I don't know. Yeah. So uh, that was May. Brilliant. So very quickly, we'll just mention out on tenth of June in the IFI. Uh, and I think it's playing The Lighthouse as well and maybe Cineworld as well but uh, Where to Invade Next Michael Moore's first film in how many years? 10 no 6 like, oh, it, okay. like it doesn't feel like that long but that also ties into uh, The Nice Guys I'm sorry I'm tying everything up here because his first film was about Detroit no? and yes very there's like good. a Detroit car manufacturer the catalytic converter in uh, The Nice Guys very good Anyways, linking very good going. linking anyway um, Michael Moore had uh, Bowling for Columbine Fire Night 9-11 and Sicko in the 2000s um, and you know he obviously went back before that uh, I've forgotten now the name of the one Roger something Roger and me yeah. that was it and then he's he always dealing with the water issues in Flint Michigan and stuff but anyway it was sort of nice to see him on screen um, I've, I've seen this already and yeah it's uh, what he does is I'll actually read it out because this is more um, it's a subversive comedy in which Michael Moore plays the role of an invader and visits a host of nations to learn how the US could improve its own prospects. So he goes to Italy, France, Finland, Slovenia, Germany, Portugal, Norway, Tunisia, and Iceland. And then there he'll go and talk to them about worker benefits, school lunch, early education, worker inclusion, like drugs, weapons, all these sort of things. So um, Does he talk to Damien Rice in Iceland? Uh, or John Grant no which, what is Iceland about he goes there and talks about the oh IMF female because the government no? is oh. yeah it was a bit about the IMF but then women ru- run the government so it's very you get loads of that's trivia chaos. from it no but now it's not and okay. that's what's shown and all the boards the only bank that didn't go bankrupt was uh, one with a board full of women I'm full of trivia because of this film um, in Italy you get like you know it doesn't actually as in as let's say Ireland we're privileged people in Ireland when you look at what America's up against in terms of like we get maternity leave we get holiday leave and in America you know and we've minimum wage and all that so working conditions social here are security. pretty good and yeah. social security if you you're unemployed you get to go on benefits and all that whereas in America you just realise wow the country is screwed so there's nothing really new from it but it's very easy watching a really nice simple thing but it's probably more so and aimed he, at Americans who yeah the dumb Americans the dumb liberal Americans kind of go god actually this country's America a bit shit crap. let's do something about that sorry America yeah uh, my film also opens June 10th it's called Embrace of the Serpent and uh, yeah. fans of the site will know that Zoe Saunders our resident artist did a, a chalk it up in March about this she got to see it uh, I think it looks fascinating I saw the trailer for it and it's kind of really 
I don't know I'm just kind of amazed by the look of it um, it was nominated for an Oscar as well at this year's Oscar and it kind of tells two parallel stories about a trek in 1909 in the Amazon jungle and um, a German is going to try and find this plant that he thinks will cure him and then many years later another explorer goes back to find the original guide and wants to trace the footsteps so they kind of tell this story side by side um, very good so, yeah, what, what date? June 10th oh they're both at the same day yeah I'll Jeez, fight you that's very interesting and the nice guys is out June 3rd so possibly by the time people listen to it that will be in the cinema perfect um, so yeah watch watch Mustang I think is Mustang our favourite movie of the month yeah I would say yeah. so yeah yeah. Um, I've stolen that from Mark Kermode and Simon Mayo as in movie of the week mm. um, you should start doing TV movie of the week because you do tune into a lot of films oh yeah you like the RT one RT Wednesday, Wednesday half but that's nine. now been ripped apart because Brendan O'Connor is on there so I don't know I'll have to have to have a few words I wasn't consulted yeah I know anyway June 22nd as far as I know or maybe the 16th I'm not sure toward the middle of June Independence Day uh, is coming oh you want to talk about that first I yeah, guess yeah. they're related but let's talk about that uh, the IFI we got the program today uh, they're just doing a wee short um season from June 8th to the 30th it's all about uh, Shakespeare Lives so they kind of have a whole range of programmes and the one I'm most excited to see is Rosencrantz and Guildenstein are dead uh, it's directed by Tom Stoppard it's the only film he directed and he also wrote the play and myself and why do I know Tom Stoppard? Uh, he writes plays he also wrote the screenplay for Shakespeare in Love oh. uh, but myself and, and former producer Colin went to see a production of Rosencrantz and Guildenstein are dead in Chicago a few years ago So, and it also continues that I 70 millimeter screening series yeah um, or it's showing Hamlet very good in so 70 millimeter bit of Kenneth Branagh like it's on at the same time as the European Championships in soccer so a nice so bit of counter if, yeah yeah nice yeah bit of counter program in there if, uh, and Shakespeare's 400 yeah I'm interested I watched the Orson Welles doc last year and they talked about Chimes of Freedom uh, Chimes at Midnight mm-hmm. not Chimes of Freedom that's a Bob Dylan Chimes. song Chimes at Midnight is on on the 8th of June so that's one of their launching things so anyway it's fun to see yeah, and but apparently my own private Idaho is a version of Henry the Fourth, parts one and two, which I didn't know. Who knew? How are they doing an outdoor screening? As we read on radio, much to do about nothing. Oh, fascinating! <laughs> Reading on radio, so that's about it. Uh, if that's not your bag, Independence Day two. What is it even called? Is yeah, two. Really? Is it just called two? Does it have a daft title? Have they passed tense to Independence Day or something? No. Independence, Independence Future. Independence Day resurgence. All right, so two decades after the original. Yeah. Anyway, not to be stereotypical uh, or anything, we saw that you've seen people have seen the trailer for it. Will Smith is not in the film, but is the black actor in the film his son? Uh, Jade, I don't know. Not not in real life. I mean, in the story. Oh, what's the story. Don't know. Who knows? You'd hope there's not a link there. Okay. Um, but sorry yeah. if I've ruined the film for anyone. Now. Anyway, it won't. It won't change the fact that the original Independence Day features one of the most iconic bits of oration in modern movie history. So let's relive that. Since Churchill, probably. Probably since bef- since Hitler. Probably the late 30s, I think, certainly. Let's even take Churchill out of the equation. <laughs> so relive that. And thanks for listening. Enjoy Shakespeare. Enjoy the Euros. And, Come on, Ireland. Yeah, and enjoy Independence Day. Good morning. In less than an hour, aircraft from here will join others from around the world. And you will be launching the largest aerial battle in the history of mankind. Mankind, that 
Words should have new meaning for all of us today. We can't be consumed by our petty differences anymore. We will be united in our common interest. Perhaps it's fate that today is the 4th of July, and you will once again be fighting for our freedom. Not from tyranny, oppression, or persecution, but from annihilation. We're fighting for our right to live, to exist. And should we win the day, the 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday, but as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night, we will not vanish without a fight. We're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Take one. Jonathan from the shop.